Chapter Four of An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. When I accepted Myas's invitation to dine with him at the Ritz a few days later, I did so with my eyes open. I ought to tell you, his letter said, that I am bringing with me a Mr. Vulsame a young surgeon who is in practice not far from here. He will be having a great treat, and I can remember that I once expressed agreement with your dictum that the young man who is having a great treat is always a great nuisance. Briefly, Volsame, though he is useful to me, will not suit your fastidious taste. At the same time, I shrink from spending a whole evening with him by myself and you can help me considerably if you will. I believe that under a highly conventional exterior you conceal some slight kindness of heart, or I would not venture to ask it. Do come and lend a hand with the beggar. I replied that I should be charmed. One meets so many bounders that one more or less does not greatly matter. Besides, I was interested in Myas. Myas himself was at his very best and perfectly delightful, but, frankly, it was rather an awful evening. Valsame had good looks, of rather a coarse and common kind, and his dress and manners were enough to make angels weep. He called me Sir previous to the champagne, and Old Cock afterwards. He bragged absurdly. Somewhere about nine o'clock, we got him to some stupid music hall, where he was particularly anxious to see that appalling abomination, a female impersonator. We came too late for this particular turn, at which he was very angry, and I was very pleased. His comments on women and life were distinctly Rabelaisian, and Myas had to get him to speak in a lower tone. Throughout the evening, Myas showed much tact in his management of the man. I think it was my good fortune to please Mr. Valsame. At any rate, he asked me to drop in some evening in a friendly way. I cordially accepted the invitation, and to make the thing more realistic, put his visiting card in my pocket. But it can hardly be necessary to say that it was not my intention to let the thing go any further. I fully expected that that night I was seeing Mr. Valsame for the last time. As it happened, I was destined to see him many times. Myas took him on to supper somewhere or other afterwards, but I thought I had done enough philanthropical work for one night and pleaded an engagement. During the whole evening Myas made no reference of any kind to his work, though he talked with a good deal of wit and acumen of most other subjects. I did not gather why he had taken lodgings in Fulham, nor why he was so desperately anxious to give this Mr. Volsame a great treat. However, it was none of my business, and I made no attempt to get any information. It was for him to make the next move, if he cared about it. One day in the following week, while I was at lunch in my rooms, the telephone bell went. My man, who attended to it, brought me word that Dr. Myers wished to speak to me. 
"'I said I would inquire if you were in,' the man added. He is a discreet fellow. I guessed, of course, that Myers was telephonic for Myas, and went to hear what he had to say. He told me that he was very much depressed and worried, and that it would do him good to see some normal and commonplace person like myself. Would I come and see his new rooms? As it happened, I had a blank afternoon, and I said that I would come with pleasure. I had never seen Myas depressed or worried, and I gathered that information was awaiting me. I told the driver of the taxicab to take me to Wallam Green. There I dismissed him and proceeded on foot in search of 121 Knox Street. I wanted to take a leisurely view of the neighborhood with which I was unfamiliar. Knox Street is dull and gray and narrow. It contains many shops, and most of them look as if they were on the verge of bankruptcy. Everything in the windows seemed to be offered at sacrificial prices and far under cost, and apparently trade was possible in the things that one generally throws away. Curious and obscene rags were being sold as second-hand clothing. Soiled and aged back numbers of magazines had a price put upon them. As long as you got a lot for a penny, it did not seem to much matter what you got. Each shop displayed notices of a familiar and even slangy character. "'Stop that cough!' shrieked the chemist. "'Here's a Sunday dinner for you,' cried the butcher. Mrs. Lade seemed to be doing rather better than some of her neighbors. She offered for sale many different things. The solid basis of the trade was apparently penny novelettes and woodbine cigarettes, but it also branched out into sweetmeats and mouth organs. There was no private door, and I entered the shop. Had I been dishonestly inclined, I might have snatched up a couple of mouth organs and made a bolt for it. Nobody was there to prevent me. But from behind a door, which was half a window with a red curtain over it, at the back of the shop, there came voices. The first voice was, I diagnosed correctly, the voice of a fat and elderly woman. "'It may be all right, and I expect it is all right, for you're a good girl, Alice. But what I say is that it don't look right, and sooner or later other people on the street will be bound to notice it. And if I was doing my duty, I shouldn't allow it to go on.' The second voice was much younger and rather plaintive. Despite a London accent, it was not unpleasant in quality. I'm sure he always treats me with respect, with most perfect respect. And why I should miss a chance of improving myself, I can't see. It's most kind of him. And I can tell you this, he's not a gentleman that will stand much interference, not from nobody. If you want to lose the rent, paid regular as it is. Setting up there for hours with him like that, said the fat voice indignantly. I don't call it. I thought the time had come to rap sharply on the floor with my umbrella. Through the red curtain door came Mrs. Lade. 
she looked a conscientious kindly rather worried woman she was fat and moved slowly with a fold of her gray apron she concealed her red hands from the glance of the curious dr myas i said were you wishful to see him yes i said that was the idea i am mr compton mrs lade opened the red curtain door again and called to an invisible miss lade gentlemen to see dr myas just take him up alice will you then she raised a flap on the counter and turned to me if you'll step this way sir i stepped that way and behind the red curtain door i found a very beautiful girl her hair reminded me of the days in my extreme youth when i kept silkworms it was just the color of the natural silk and she had any amount of it her eyes were a grayish blue her face was well cut and delicate when she saw an actual stranger and spoke with him it was apparently her habit to blush slightly she was rather above medium height with a slight graceful figure her dress was plain and quiet she took me up some rather dingy stairs and tapped at a door which had been newly painted the deep voice of myas bade us come in myas flung down the book that he was reading and shook hands with me i noticed by the way that the book was alice in wonderland i took one of his cigarettes and sat down to talk to him before we go any further i said tell me how is our dear friend mr valsame myas grinned in a melancholy way i managed him beautifully i gave him supper i brought him back here in a taxicab i kept him here for an hour and took him to his own place in another taxicab and it was really not until he reached home that he was actually drunk it seemed to me that he was rather nearer that blessed condition than i cared about most of the evening no i assure you said myas even when he got to his own home he was not incapable and he was very very happy speaking seriously i am awfully obliged to you for helping me with him he's rather a useful man to me useful how hadn't it occurred to you i should have thought it would have been fairly obvious i have still a little experimental work that i must do and the hospitals refuse to give me the opportunities that i want volsame has a practice quite a large practice in a poor neighborhood you see he inspires no sense of shame and people are sure that they can tell him everything frequently he has cases which are of interest to me and have a bearing on my work when that happens he lets me know and i come in as mr volsame's assistant mark you i get none of the qualifications and conditions that the hospital wanted to lay down as mr volsame's assistant i do just exactly as i think right naturally i remunerate mr volsame i also at times think it expedient to remunerate the relatives of the patient when i came here my friend 
I did not do it merely to surprise you. It was essential that I should be living and working in a poor neighborhood. With the expenditure of a very few sovereigns, I can get what I want. The relatives actually like it. It gives them so much money to spend on the funeral baked meats. "'You're a gruesome beast, Myas,' I said. "'If you're not careful, you'll make this place too hot to hold you, and Valsame's practice will go pop.' "'Very likely,' he said with indifference. "'At present I am being careful.' I looked around the room. The walls were newly papered in a flat tint. The furniture was all new, not strictly artistic, but fairly good and comfortable. "'You didn't find all these things here when you came, did you?' I asked. "'Lord, no. The rooms were empty. I went to Tottenham Court Road, gave them a rough idea of what I wanted and the price I would pay, and Tottenham Court Road did the rest. As long as the stuff was comfortable and none of the things had any pattern on them, I did not mind much. What's your objection to pattern? All pattern is an abomination. It annoys you because it is repeated. And then, where it has to stop because there is no more of the blessed curtain or wallpaper, it annoys you because it is not repeated. It reminds me too much of my fellow men, so many of them, and all just alike. Now you, of course, would suffer patterns gladly. I don't worry. I'm not particularly cracked about anything of that kind. Why should I enjoy patterns? The thing's obvious. Your one aim in life is to resemble as closely as possible every other man in the same position in life and their aim is to resemble each other and you. Any one of you would sooner commit a murder than wear the wrong necktie. Not cracked? Of course you're cracked. And you're quite sane, I suppose. Absolutely, said Myas with conviction. Very well, then. How's that girl getting on with her lessons? Go to the devil said Myas. And I suppose the girl can go to the devil as well? Myas smote the palm of one hand with the fist of the other. My word, he said, how absolutely wrong you sordid and worldly people can get in your judgment. However, there's just this to be said for you. You live and learn. You'll get to know that girl better. Now then, let's speak of other things. End of chapter 4